Volume 1, Chapter 8 of Say and Seal by Susan and Anna Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The decision of Mr. Linden on the school question was duly communicated to Judge Harrison, and the time fixed was Thursday, the 5th of October. The place chosen, after much care, was the judge's own house and grounds adjoining, which were spacious enough, and afforded good opportunity for setting tables, and also for spreading them. So all that was fixed, and all Patacoasset was a tiptoe, and Mr. Linden submitted to what he could not help, with as good a grace as he might, and September was sliding off into October with the gentlest, sunniest, softliest grace. With much the same sort of grace, Faith Derrick walked up and down in her mother's household, from the dairy where she made her butter, to Mr. Linden's room, which it was her care to keep in order, and where she might, if she chose, amuse herself with Mr. Linden's books. If she did, it was unknown to their owner. He surely found every volume lying where he left it. There was chance enough for Faith, in his long absences from the house, and the books offered temptations. There were a good many of them, stowed in old-fashioned corner and window cupboards, good editions and good bindings, and an excellent, very choice selection of subjects and authors. There were books in various languages of which Faith could make nothing but sighs. In her own mother tongue there were varieties of learning and literature enough to distract her. All, however, that the owner could know of other hands about his books was that there was no dust upon them. Perhaps he had a mind to know more or that there should be more to be known, for about this time two remarkable things happened. One was that Faith found a little French book ensconced among the stockings in her basket, and the very next morning, as Mr. Linden was setting off for school, he stopped at the threshold and inquired, "'Miss Faith, whereabouts are you in Prescott?' That same color flushed in Faith's face. It did not rise to her temples this time, but glowed richly in her cheeks. She looked down and up and down. Words seemed confounded in their utterance. "'You do not mean that you have finished it already,' he said, with an excellent look of astonishment. "'I have almost,' said Faith. "'Mr. Linden, how could you tell? I don't know what makes me do so,' she said, putting both hands to her cheeks. "'There's no shame in it.' "'I didn't suppose there was,' he said, smiling, and closed the door. Very oddly, in spite of morning duties, Faith's next move was to go to her basket, pull out that little French book, and examine it all over inside and out. Not one word of it could she read, not one sign of it did she know, what was the meaning of its place in her basket? Faith pondered that question probably while her cheeks were coming back to their usual tint. Then the book was slipped back again, and she hurried away to help her mother with the dishes. "'You needn't come, child,' said Mrs. Derrick. "'What do you think I'll make of such a handful of things as that? To be sure Cindy's cleaning up today, but I'm pretty smart yet. Go off and study arithmetic if you want to. Haven't you got through that yet?' "'Almost through, mother,' Faith answered, smiling. "'Well, why don't you go and finish?' said her mother. "'Mayn't I finish these first? said Faith, through whose fingers in the towel the cups and saucers slipped with a dexterity that was, to say the least of it, pretty. "'Why, mother, you were not so keen after arithmetic the other day.' "'Keen after it,' said Mrs. Derrick. "'La, child, I don't pretend to be keen. But I never could bear to see a thing half done. I'd rather do it twice over.' There was something else running in Faith's mind, for after abstractedly setting down one after another several saucers, polished from the hot water and huckaback, she dropped her towel and flung both arms round her mother's neck. "'Mother, there is one thing I want you to do. I want you to be a Christian.' There was persuasion in the soft head that nestled against her, if Faith's words lacked it. To the words her mother gave no answer, but she returned the caress with interest, wrapping Faith in her arms, and drawing her down to the next chair, as if, literally, she could not stand that. "'Pretty child,' she said, and more than one tear fell upon Faith's bright hair. "'You're the best child that ever was, and always were.' "'No, mother,' said Faith, kissing her. But will you?" "'I don't know,' said Mrs. Derrick. 
That's what your father used to say, Faith, and I used to think I'd like to, to please him, but somehow I never did. Never wished it for your own sake, dear mother? Yes, sometimes, when I saw him die, said Mrs. Derrick. Hush, child, don't say another word to me now, for I can't bear it. And giving Faith an embrace which took off all thought of roughness from her words, Mrs. Derrick rose up and went about her dishes again. And Faith tried to do as much, but the dropping tears were too fast for her towel. Her hands sought in vain to forbid their coming. She laid down her work and went away. Truth, however, is always at one with itself, and so is right feeling and so is duty. Faith as well as her mother had plenty of business on hand that morning, and it was not long before she was as hard at work in the kitchen as if there were no other interests in the world. There was bread to make. That was done. There was an elaborate chicken pie to concoct for dinner, which Faith would not leave to her mother today. There was a certain kind of muffins which Mrs. Derrick suggested Mr. Linden would be apt to like, and which they had never had since he was in Patacoasset. To hear was to obey, and Faith compounded the muffins. Then fresh yeast must be made, and Faith always did that. Let it not be thought that Mrs. Derrick was idle while thus indicating flowery fields of exertion to her daughter. Very far from it. There was all the house and all the rest of the dinner to see to, besides Cindy, who was one woman's work. The butcher was to be met, and farm questions settled with the farmer, and Mrs. Derrick was still deep in vegetables when Faith quitted the kitchen. How much time she had left for study before dinner it doesn't appear. After dinner this day there was small study chance, or at least small chance to get books, for it was Wednesday, and Wednesday was in every Pettiquasset school a half-holiday. Indeed, that arrangement of things extended beyond the schools, and on this particular Wednesday Mrs. Derrick devoted the holiday time to a far-off neighbor, declaring that she felt like a good long walk. And after her departure the dreaminess of a warm fall afternoon settled down upon the house and its inhabitants. Faith sat sewing by the parlor window, or reading, stealthily, for Mr. Linden with his book sat in the porch not three feet from her, but it is not too much to say that neither made great progress. Who could read, or work, or think, vigilantly in that hazy sunshine? The very bees took a siesta on the wing, and rocked to and fro in the soft air. About the middle of the afternoon a small white-headed boy was seen revolving down the main street of Patacoasset. I say revolving, for the slight suggestion of a small stone in the road, or a spot of particular dustiness, was enough to make the boy break the monotony of his walk with a somerset, by which style of progress he at last arrived at Mrs. Derrick's door, entered the gate, and came up the steps. There he paused and gazed at Mr. Linden. "'What is your name?' inquired that gentleman, with the benevolent idea of setting the boy's thoughts in motion in a straight line. "'Charles Twelfth,' replied the boy promptly. "'Charles Twelfth,' said Mr. Linden. "'Are there eleven more of you?' The boy put his finger in his mouth, but brought forth no answer. "'Miss Faith,' said Mr. Linden, "'are you the planet which has attracted the small star out of its usual orbit?' Faith came to the door. "'Who are you, little fellow?' said she, eyeing the dusty white head. "'Who be you?' said the boy. "'The center of your solar system at present,' said Mr. Linden. "'Is that the way satellites generally ask questions?' "'What a queer man,' said the boy, looking at Mr. Linden. "'What a queer boy,' said that gentleman gravely. "'What do you want?' said Faith, biting her lips and laughing at both of them. The boy gazed at her, but he also gazed at the scraper, and the attraction of that was irresistible. Down went his white head and over went his dusty feet, and then Charles Twelfth was himself again. "'My ma kept your ma to supper,' he said, "'and she says you may come too if you want her, and bring him. We've got lots of pies.' And stimulated by this recollection, the boy turned without delay and began his revolutions homeward. Faith ran down the two or three porch steps and laid hold of the little invader. "'Here, you Charles Twelfth, who are you and where does your ma live?' "'She lives down to our house.' "'Where's that?' "'Down the woody road,' said the boy. "'Next after you come to Captain Sam's blackberry field, there's sunflowers in front.' "'Then you are Mrs. Seacombe's boy?' 
Very well, said Faith, letting him go. Mr. Linden, there is an invitation for you. Is there a carriage road into Sweden, or do we walk? He replied. Sweden, said Faith. It is in the woods, two or three miles from here. A woman lives there, the widow of a man that used to sail with my father. My father was captain of a ship, Mr. Linden. Mr. Seacombe was one of his mates, and very fond of him, and we go to see Mrs. Seacombe once in a while. I don't think perhaps you would like it. It's a pretty ride. That is a kind of ride I do like. But I don't know whether you would like it all. If you say so, I will have up the wagon. Thank you. That I should not like. I prefer to have it up myself, Miss Faith, if you will have up your bonnet. Faith's face gave way at that, and the bonnet and the wagon were up accordingly. The way led first down the high road, bordered with gardens and farms and the houses of the village, if village it were called, where the neighbors looked at each other's distant windows across wide tracts of meadow, orchards, and grain fields. The road was reasonably dusty, in the warm draughts of September. Nevertheless, the hedgerows that grew thick in many places showed gay tufts of autumn flowering, and the mellow light lay on every wayside object in sober distance like the reflection from a butterfly's wing. Except the light, all changed when they got into the woody road. It was woody, indeed, except where it was grassy, and woods and grass played hide-and-seek with each other. The grass-grown road, its thicker grass borders, where bright fall flowers raised their proud little heads, the old fence broken down in places where bushes burst through and half-filled the gap, bright hips on the wild rose-bushes, tufts of yellow fern-leaves, brilliant handfuls of red and yellow, which here a maple and there a pepperidge held out over the road, the bushy, bosky look which the uncut undergrowth gave the wood on either hand, the gleams of soft green light, the bands of shadow, the deeper thickets where the eye looked twice and came back unsatisfied, over all the blue sky with forest leaves for a border. Such was the woody road that afternoon. Flocks of little birds of passage flitted and twittered about their night's lodging, or came down to feast on wintergreen or cedar berries, and Mrs. Derrick's old horse walked softly on, as if he knew no one was in a hurry. "'With what a glory comes and goes the year,' Mr. Linden said. "'And stays all the while, don't it?' said Faith rather timidly, and after an instant's hesitation. Yes, in a sort, though to my fancy the other seasons have rather beauty and splendor, while autumn keeps the glory for itself. I think it is glorious all the year round, said Faith, though to be sure, she added with a sudden check, perhaps I don't use the word right. Yes, it is glorious, but I think glorious and glory have drifted a little apart upon the tide of human speech. Glory always seems to my mind a warm, glowing, effulgent thing, but ice-peaks may be glorious." The old painters encircled the heads of their saints with a glory, and you could not imagine that a cold light. Faith listened, with the eyes of one first seeing into the world of wonder and beauty hidden from common vision. She did not answer, till her thoughts came back to the road they were traveling, and catching her breath a little, she said, This isn't a cold light. No, truly. And just so far as the saints on earth walk in a cold light, so far, I think, their light is less glorious. I don't see how they can, said Faith timidly. They do, sometimes, standing aloof like those ice-peaks. You can see the white garments, but no glory transfigures them. Such a face as Stephen's, Miss Faith, is worth a journey to see. Faith thought so, wondered how many such faces he had seen. Her meditations plunged her too deep for words. "'What are you musing about, if I may ask?' Mr. Linden said presently. She colored, but answered, "'I was thinking what one must be, to have a face like Stephen's.' That is the promise, you know, from glory to glory. From grace to glory must come first. What one must be, yes, that is it. But it is good to measure the promises now and then. Faith laid that last remark up in her heart, enshrining it in gold, as it were. But she said nothing. How is it with you, he said, turning his eyes full upon her. You have not told me lately. 
Are the clouds all gone? Her look met his, wistful and simple as her answer. I see the light through. Unto the perfect day, Mr. Linden said, his smile, slight as it was, bringing a sort of illumination with it. After a few minutes, he turned to her again. Miss Faith, one whom Christ has called into his army should wear his uniform. What, sir? she said, the color starting readily. With the private vows of allegiance, there should be also a public profession. Yes, she said. I suppose so. I am willing. I am ready. Timid, modest, even shrinking as she was, more in view of the subject than of her adviser, her face was as frank as the day. His hand quitted the reins a moment, taking hers and giving it a sort of right hand of fellowship clasp, glad and warm and earnest as was his look. I am not going to ask you any more questions, he said. You will tell me if there are any you wish answered. Her thank you was a little breathless. For a while the old horse jogged on in his easy way, through the woods and the fall flowers and the sunny glow, and the eyes of the two travellers seemed to be busy therewith. Then Faith said, with a little timid touch upon her voice, "'Mr. Linden, I suppose it was you that put that little green book in my basket last night?' "'Jumping at conclusions again,' he said. "'What sort of a little green book was it?' "'I don't know. I suppose you can tell me.' "'Do you suppose I will?' "'Why not? What did you expect me to do with it, Mr. Linden?' find out what sort of a book it is. You know I can't read a word of it, said Faith rather low. Look at that old house, said Mr. Linden. They were passing a cleared field or two, one of which seemed yet under cultivation and showed cornstalks and pumpkin vines, but the other was in that poverty-stricken state described by one proverb as, I once had. The house was a mere skeleton. Clapboards indeed there were still, and shingles, but doors and windows had long since been removed, by man or time and through the open spaces you could see here a covered door and there a stairway, and there a bit of partition wall with its faded high-colored paper. No remnant of furniture, no rag of old clothes or calico, but in the dooryard a few garden flowers still struggled to keep their place, among daisies, thistles, and burdocks. The little field was bordered with woodland, and human voice or face there was none. The sunbeams which shone so brightly on the tinted trees seemed powerless here. The single warm ray that shot through one of the empty window frames fell mournfully on the cold hearthstone. Yes, said Faith. I don't know who ever lived there. It has stood so a good while. The road grew more solitary still after that, passing on where the trees came close upon either hand, and arched their branches overhead, casting a deep and lonely shadow. The flowers dwindled, the briars and rank grass increased. As to the philosophe sous la toit, Miss Faith, said Mr. Linden, touching the horse with his whip, there are just two things to be said. In the first place, with the help of another book or two which are not beyond reach, you may make his acquaintance quite comfortably by yourself. In the second—no, I shall not tell you the second. That you may find out by yourself, too. There is Charles Twelfth, and all his subjects one might judge. For on Captain Samp's Blackberry Hill, albeit blackberries were bygone things, a troop, a flock of children, were scattered up and down picking flowers. Goldenrod and asters and moonshine filled the not-too-clean little hands, and briars and wild roses combed the unkempt hair somewhat roughly. White-headed youngsters, all of them, looking— but for small patterns of blue calico and nankeen, not unlike a drove of little pigs. Next appeared an imposing array of sunflowers, below which Prince's feather waved in crimson splendor, and the little brown capital of Sweden stood revealed. Or I should say partially, for the house stood in the deepest corner of the shade, just where the road took a sharp turn towards the sunlight, and Mr. Linden alighted and tied his horse to a tree, with little fear that anything would happen to him unless the darkness put him to sleep. Charles Twelfth has the best of it just now, Miss Faith, he said as he opened the gate for her. 
Why do people build houses where they cannot see the sun? They were met at the door by Mrs. Seacombe. Do tell, she said, why if this ain't you, but what made you come so late, and how slow your horse did come when he was about it? I've been watching you this age. Well, Faith, I declare you're as pretty as a posy, and this is the teacher, I suppose. Guess likely you ain't been down this way afore, sir. It's a good ways and the road's lonesome, but it's a fine place when you're here, so retired and shady. All Mr. Linden's command of countenance only enabled him to answer the last remark with a strong affirmative. Yes, sir, said Mrs. Seacombe. It is, and there's a good many of the trees as evergreens, so the shade never goes off. I do suppose if I could keep the children more to home they wouldn't get nice so brown as they do, but if I was to run out in the lot and whip em home every half hour they'd be back again before I could count one. Now Genevieve, she does stay round under the trees a good deal, but then she's fond of flowers. She'll be real glad to see you, Faith, and so'll your mother. And Mrs. Seacombe at last got her visitors into the parlour. The parlour was as brown as the rest of the house. The visitors had not time to remark more particularly, for their attention was claimed by a tall girl of about Faith's age, with a loosely built, strong-jointed frame, in as marked contrast as possible to the clean outline and soft angles of the other. She shook hands very cordially with Faith, but made a reverence to the teacher. "'Won't you take a chair, sir?' she said, setting one for the gentleman. "'Ain't it an age since we've looked at you, Faith? Your mother's been here a long spell. Ma was proud to see her coming. You ain't been here, seems to me, ever before.' "'How do you do, Genevieve?' "'I'm respectable well. Can't do nothing uncommon, you know, down in this seclusion. I guess it's as good to see company as blackberries. We don't get it, though. I hope you don't mind a lonely situation, sir.' The last words with deep gravity and a bending head. "'It agrees well with a contemplative mind,' replied the gentleman resolving that the young lady should not talk high English alone. "'It does,' said Genevieve admiringly, taking him all in with her eyes. "'There is always something to look at to make you contemplate. Then you don't think it's an objection, sir, to live so far away from society as this?' "'I have lived further away from society than this,' said Mr. Linden. "'I have seen regions of country, Miss Seacombe, where you could not even hear of anybody but yourself.' "'I declare! And weren't it awful still, sir?' "'It was beautiful still,' said Mr. Linden. I reckon it was. At this juncture, Charles Twelfth made his appearance, and Mr. Linden at once turned to him. Well, sir, how are the Turks? To which Charles Twelfth, being taken much by surprise, replied, They're pretty well. Genevieve, said her mother, if you'll make yourself agreeable, I'll go hurry tea afore the rest of the children comes. They will all come to table, and there's so many. And Mrs. Derrick, as in duty bound, followed her to help. I'll go tell em, said Charles Twelfth, as Mrs. Seacombe went out. "'No, you will not,' said Mr. Linden. "'You will not go out of the house again till I give you leave. "'Why don't you come to Sunday school and learn to behave yourself?' "'What else?' said Charles Twelfth. "'What else?' said Mr. Linden. "'That will take you some time. "'Afterwards you will learn all the lessons your teacher gives you.' "'Who will he be?' said Charles Twelfth, coming a little nearer. "'You?' "'No, indeed,' said Mr. Linden. "'I have quite enough to do now. "'I dare say this lady will take you into her class if you ask her politely.' "'It was worth while to see Faith's face now for the little stir and the flush and the sweet gravity that was in it. Not so much as a glance went to Mr. Linden, but leaning forward towards the young enemy of Peter the Great, she said in her sweet tones, "'Will you come?' Charles Twelfth looked up at her rather earnestly, though his finger was in his mouth the while, and then having ended his scrutiny gave a grave little nod of assent, and moved round and stood at her side. "'Look here,' said Faith. "'Don't you want to show me how the sunflowers grow in your garden?' "'They ain't mine,' said Charles Twelfth. "'I'll show you my house.' if ye'll let me go. That difficulty being got over, Charles Twelfth trotted out of the front door, and on through the long grass, to a remarkable edifice of clamshells, broken earthenware, moss, and corn cobs, which was situated close by the fence. Faith commented and asked questions, 
till she had made herself slightly familiar to the young woodsman's mind, and then it was agreed that he should come Sunday morning bright and early to Mrs. Derrick's, and he and Faith would go to Sunday school together. By the time this arrangement was thoroughly entered into, the summons came to tea. "'Now do just set down and make yourselves at home,' said Mrs. Seacombe, "'and eat as if you were home, too.' "'Faith,' she added in a good-sized whisper, "'I did like to forget all about it, and your mother could have told me, too, but you'll do just as well. Does he always take cold pork and potatoes to his supper?' Faith's eyes involuntarily opened. Then, as the meaning of this appeal broke upon her, she answered with a very decided, "'No, ma'am.' "'Cause we've got some handy,' Mrs. Seacombe said. "'Now, Mr. Simpson, he stayed with us a spell, and he couldn't do without it. If I had pound cake and plum cake and mince pie for supper, it made no differ, and if there weren't but one cold potato in the house, it made none either. He wanted that just the same. To be sure, he was easy-suited. And I didn't know but all school teachers was the same way. I never had much experience of them.' Genevieve, just lock the front door, and then the children can't get in. The back door's locked. I do take to peace and quiet. Is Charles Twelfth much like his brothers and sisters, ma'am? said Mr. Linden. Well, no, said Mrs. Seacombe, dealing out blackberry jam. He always was an uncommon child. The rest's all real sponsible, but there's none of em alike but America's best beauches. It's fresh faith. The children pick the blackberries and Captain Sampsois. Charles Twelfth does act sometimes as if he was helped. I thought he took a turn a while ago to behave like the rest, but he's reacted and having emptied the dish of jam, Mrs. Seacombe began upon the cheese. "'Which is Americus?' said Faith. "'Is he older or younger than Charles Twelfth, Mrs. Seacombe?' "'Well, he's older,' said Mrs. Seacombe. "'That's him,' she added, as a loud rattling at the back door was followed in an incredibly short space of time by a similar rattling at the front, after which came the clatter of various sticks and clods at the window. "'I guess you won't care about seeing him near,' said Mrs. Seacombe, stirring her tea composedly. "'Only don't nobody open the door. I do love peace and quiet.' They won't break the window, cause they know they'd catch it if they did. Children is a plague, I do suppose, remarked Genevieve. Is your tea agreeable, sir? Which question Mr. Linden waved by asking another, and the meal proceeded with a peace and quietness which suited no ideas but Mrs. Seacombe's. At last tea was over, the ladies put on their bonnets again, and the old horse being roused from his meditations, the party set forward on their pleasant way home. Doubly pleasant now, for the sun was just setting, the air was fresher, and the glow of the sunset colors put new glory upon all the colors of earth and light and shadow made witching work of the woody road as long as the glow lasted. Then the colors faded, the shadows spread, gray gathered where orange and brown had been, that glory was gone, and then it began to be shown, little by little, as the blue also changed for gray, that there is another glory of the stars. And then presently, above the trees that shaded Mrs. Seacombe's retreat, the moon rose full and bright and laid her strips of silver under the horse's feet. Were they all exhausted with their afternoon work? or was this shifting scene of color and glory enough to busy their minds? Mr. Linden found his way along the road silently, and the two ladies behind him seemed each to be wrapped in her own thoughts, and moonlight and starlight favored that, and so on they jogged between the shadowy walls of trees tipped and shimmering with light, and over those strips of silver on the road. Out of the woods at last, on the broad, full-lit highway, past one farm and house after another, lights twinkling at them from the windows, and then their own door with its moonlit porch. The old horse would stand, no fear. The reins were thrown over his back, and the three went in together. As Mrs. Derrick passed on first, and the others were left behind in the doorway, Faith turned and held out her hand. "'Thank you, Mr. Linden,' she said softly. He took the hand and inquired gravely whether she was taking leave of him for the rest of his natural life. Faith's mood had probably not been precisely a merry one when she began, but her low laugh rung through the hall at that, and she ran in. End of chapter 8